This message by Bill Kittrell was recorded during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Bill serves as the senior pastor of Cornerstone Church. We're going to turn our attention now to the book of Psalms. Book of Psalms. If you do not have a copy of the Scriptures, if you'll raise your hand, our ushers will give you a free copy so you can follow along. Now as, as we turn our attention to God's Word, we're going to look at Psalm 38 and really like you to have a copy of the Scriptures so that you can follow along and we can take advantage of this gift that God has given us, His Word and this Psalm in particular. Psalm 38. <clears throat> we're going to begin reading. In verse 1, and read this, this entire psalm, entitled, A Psalm of David for the Memorial Offering. Psalm 38, verse 1. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger. nor discipline me in your wrath. For your arrows have sunk into me, and your hand has come down on me. There is no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. There's no health in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities have gone over my head. Like a heavy burden, they're too heavy for me. My wounds stick, stink, and fester because of my foolishness. I'm utterly bowed down and prostrate. All the day I go, go about mourning. For my sides are filled with burning. And there's no soundness in my flesh. I'm feeble and crushed. I groan because of the tumult of my heart. O oh Lord, all my longing is before you. My sighing is not hidden from you. My heart throbs. My strength fails me. And the light of my eyes, it also has gone from me. My friends and companions stand aloof from my plague, and my nearest kin stand far off. Those who seek my life lay their snares. Those who seek my hurt speak of ruin and meditate treachery all day long. But I'm like a deaf man I don't hear, like a mute man who doesn't open his mouth. I become like a man who doesn't hear and in whose mouth are no rebukes. Verse 15. But for you, O Lord, do I wait. It is you, O Lord, my God, who will answer. For I said, only let them not rejoice over me, who boast against me when my foot slips. 
for I am ready to fall, and my pain is ever before me. I confess my iniquity. I am sorry for my sin. But my foes are vigorous. They are mighty. And many are those who hate me wrongfully. Those who render me evil for good accuse me because I follow after good. Do not forsake me, O Lord. O my God, be not far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. If, if you are a football fan, in fact, in particular an NFL football fan, you know who Ezekiel Elliott is. He's a, he's a running back. He played for an Ohio college. <laughs> and then last year, he played for America's team, the Dallas Cowboys, if you've drank the Kool-Aid. And he led the entire NFL as a rookie in rushing yards. A lot of people see him as the new face of the NFL. He's a very charismatic figure. He's funny. People like him. They say he's a future Hall of Famer who has that potential. He's one of the brightest young stars in the NFL. But he's had a number of troubling off-field incidents. He's currently under investigation by the NFL. They're considering discipline against him. They have been for several weeks now because of a charge of aggravated assault. And he's had, had a number of these things. And then last Sunday, in the midst of the NFL making these decisions about discipline, he was involved in another incident. In, in Dallas, a video was captured of the alleged victim who had been hit. And people are talking about his questionable decision-making. Because this incident occurred when he had said he understood the need for caution. He, he understood that these things needed to stop because of his his high-profile position. And I heard one prominent sportscaster say this, he just can't seem to get out of his own way. He just can't seem to get out of his own way. Do you ever feel this is true of you? I can relate to that. Sometimes I feel like I just can't get out of my own way. Sometimes we are our own worst enemy. Isn't that true? There, there's trouble in our life, and it's no one's fault except our own. It's our own fault. 
Now, if you've ever had this experience, if you've ever felt like that, if you've never felt like that, I'd love to talk to you after the meeting. I need your counsel. But if you have felt like that, in Psalm 38, David puts on a clinic for how to respond when we find ourselves in this situation. I'm, I'm sure Ezekiel Elliott listens to the podcast every week, and if so, Zeke, if you're listening, just get a mic and read this psalm. The psalms are a gift from God. They, they have great value. They are relevant. They are helpful. They inform our experiences. There, there's no experience that isn't captured in the psalms. And this includes the trials that come into our lives as the result of our own personal sin. And Psalm 38 is a psalm that God has provided for these moments that will comfort us, it will strengthen us. Here's how to respond. Read it, meditate on it, memorize it. It is potent. It is powerful to help us grow spiritually. So, we begin by looking at three things that David instructs us about. In Psalm 37, he reflects on how to deal with the perplexing experience of the wicked prospering. And now he transitions in Psalm 38, and, and it's, it's seen as intentional that these two psalms are together. And in Psalm 38, on the other hand, so one, one experience is the wicked prospering, but now, on the other hand, this is, this is about personal sin and, and plea for forgiveness. So I, I think the main point of this psalm is to encourage us to confess our sins to the Lord and receive forgiveness and salvation from Him. And, and David tries to get us there by instructing us about, number one, personal sin. Number two, God's indignation. And finally, praying for forgiveness. So number one, he begins to encourage us to confess our sins to the Lord, receive forgiveness and salvation. He begins by talking about and instructing us about personal sin. This, sin, this psalm is not about somebody else's sin against us. It's about our sin. It's about personal sin. It's about David's sin. It's about my sin. It's about your sin. It would be classified as a psalm of lament. Laments are the largest category of psalms in the book of Psalms, also known as the Psalter. So we may say that. That's just a reference to the book of Psalms, the Psalter. There are more than 60 psalms of lament in the Psalter. Some of them are corporate psalms. Some of them are individual ones. And these kinds of psalms always express a deep confidence and a deep trust in God. They help us express suffering. They help us 
express struggles, disappointments, as we trust the Lord to help us. They're there when we're discouraged. They're there when we're going through difficult times. They're there when maybe things just aren't going as well as we thought they would. And they, they are there provided by God so that we can lay out our troubles before Him in a way that glorifies Him. In a way that serves our soul. Psalm 38 is a penitential psalm. There are seven of them in the Psalter. It's a psalm of lament about the troubles a person is experiencing as a consequence of their own personal sin. There's a reason they're here. Not one, not two, but seven of these kinds of psalms because it's a common experience for us to be experiencing trouble because of our own sin. David says in verse 3, there is no health in my bones because of my sin. It's because of my sin. He he expresses all this anguish and difficulty. It's because of my sin. David could not get out of his own way. Verse 4, my For my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They're too heavy for me. My wounds stink. That's graphic language. It's it's meant to communicate to us this is a bad situation. And they fester because of my foolishness. He he acknowledges his, his sin. And then in In verse 18, he's just explicit. What a great verse to memorize, meditate on. I confess my iniquity. I am sorry for my sin. All of us can memorize that. That will come in handy, won't it? Lord, Psalm 38, 18. I confess my iniquity. I am sorry for my sin. He talks about my sin, my iniquities, my foolishness. Let's pause for a moment. Did you confess any sin this week? Raise your hand. No, I'm kidding. It's a question. Just We should ask ourselves, did I confess any sin? I think we all would say, now I know I sinned this week. Did I confess any sin? And you may think, well, this is Old Testament. Let's get to the New Testament. We don't confess our sins in the New Testament. Surely you don't think that. James says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Sounds very much like Psalm 38. There is good news. 1 John 1, if we confess our sins... If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness because of the Lord Jesus Christ. The the good news. We live in a culture that 
that doesn't encourage this, that isn't good at this. We don't value ownership of our own mistakes and sins. It's hard for all of us. It's hard for every culture. It's hard for everybody. We, because we live in a fallen world, we do not like to admit we are wrong. And so, often you'll hear people give public confessions that are very carefully crafted. They minimize responsibility. And they leave the other people disappointed, don't they? David, Psalm 38 is not like this. His response is different. Man, this is a coming clean. If, if you read this psalm, if, this, if you own this and say this, Wow, it is powerful. It is a model for us to follow. This is truth. This is instruction. This is what to do when you are experiencing the consequences of personal sin. The second thing he instructs us in is God's indignation. God's indignation. Indignation is, is simply a word that's referring to anger that is there because it's been provoked by an offense. So verse 2, he says, there's no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. His, God's anger has been provoked by his sin. In this psalm, David emphasizes just the heavy toll that his sin is taking on him. He, he stresses the heavy burden as you read this psalm. Like, wow, he is experiencing the consequences of sin. There's a burden of guilt. And it's made worse by the consequences. By apparently sickness. He's alienated from his friends, even his relatives. And now his enemies are taking advantage of it. In the very beginning, he just, verses 1 through 4, there's just a litany of ills that he is suffering. There's no soundness in my flesh, no health in my body. Physically, emotionally, he's devastated. Down in verse 5, my wounds stink and fester. Verse 7, my sides are filled with burning. There's no soundness in my flesh. He says that again. Verse 8, I am feeble and crushed. His, his burden, it's an inner burden, it's an outer burden. He's experiencing conviction of sin. It's very clear to him. He's distressed. He recognizes all, this, all these consequences are his own foolishness. That's what makes it especially bad. A few weeks ago, we had a planning retreat as a pastoral team. We do this once a year. I know... You know, some of you are like, that's all you guys do is retreat. Hey, it's a great job. You should try to. This, this retreat is actually difficult. We actually work on this retreat. And it's, a, a, it's an administrative planning retreat. And as we go into it, none of us are jumping for joy. And inevitably, there is some disagreements as we try to lay out the coming year. And budgets are involved. 
So, you know, there's, there's some serious fighting for money as guys have different spheres of ministry. And my job is to lead this group of outlaws. <laughs> Try to keep them civil. And it was a great retreat. It was a great retreat. It just went smoothly. I think all the guys would say, man, that was civil and effective. And we were all excited about the plans. And we were rejoicing at all the things we were going to be experiencing in the next year. And, and everybody was getting along and it was just great until the last day in about the last 30 minutes. when there was a disagreement and there was a conflict and it was my fault. My response. And so here I am responsible for this retreat. Actually, if we come out of this retreat and it's, everybody's happy, that's good for me. You know? I can then celebrate, hey, I, I was at leading the retreat. It's good. But there was a disagreement and I sinned. My response was arrogant. I was unkind. I lacked love. And these relationships were effective. These relationships on the pastoral team that I treasure. I called myself names afterwards. You dope. I couldn't get out of my own way. Just had to run yourself over in the last 30 minutes, didn't you? You dope. It's in moments like that that reading Psalm 38 is perfect. It's so comforting. If you have a moment like that that you can think of, go back and read this psalm and you'll go, wow, that is a gift from God. And, and pause for a moment and, and think about it. Are there relationships that are affected right now by your sin? Think about it. Because I think one of the things the Lord might want to do today through this word is have you go confess your sin and you'll be shocked. You'll be shocked by what will happen. Just go look somebody in the eye and read Psalm 38. I confess my iniquity. I am sorry for my sin. My son, Bryant, and I were fishing one time in West Virginia, and he caught a, a nice brown trout on the other side of the creek, and I wanted to take a picture of it, so I had him carry it across a bridge over to me. There's a guide on the river who didn't appreciate that and saw it because he thought it was hard on the fish. And he came up on the bridge, and as we were down there taking the picture, he began to yell. And he began to say some very unkind things to us. As only a West Virginia fishing guide can say them. And it was a temptation. And I, I said to Bryant, because he was there, I said, you stay right here, I'm, 
I'm going to go talk to this guy. Brian anticipated murder. <laughs> That's what he was thinking, murder. When he came up over the hill in a few minutes, what he saw was me and the fishing guide hugging. And he was stunned. Here's what happened. When he came up to me and I saw him, I said this. You are exactly right. We should not have done that. You know what he said to me? Ah, don't listen to me. I'm the biggest idiot on the planet. It was nirvana. Well, that's probably not the best word here in a Christian church, but you get the point. Confession restores relationships. David's emphasis is on the Lord's anger and his wrath. He knows the Lord is rightfully indignant. He doesn't ask for the Lord not to discipline him for his sin, but only for the discipline to be given with mercy. Verse 1, Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Spurgeon says this, Rebuked I must be, for I am an erring child and you a careful father, but throw not too much anger into the tones of your voice. Deal gently, although I have sinned grievously. The anger of others I can bear, but not yours. It's a father's privilege, isn't it, to discipline their children. It's the child's duty to respond humbly and with obedience. David just says, don't let the rod be a sword. He knows by his very nature, God must be angry with sin. He hopes in God's mercy. Notice in, in verse 2, he talks about God's arrows. His hand. The Lord is active, and David knows it. It's the Lord who is at work in his life. Proverbs 3 says, My son, don't despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him whom he loves. As a father, the son in whom he delights. Arrows, arrows, the Lord's... Your arrows, Lord. There, there's pain here. There's anxiety. David is tormented because of his sin. But he doesn't despise or make light of the Lord's discipline. We make light of his discipline when we fail to see his hand in the adversity. When we view them as just chance circumstances. The Lord knows how to deal with His children when they sin. He knows how to make us aware of our sin. And it may seem strange that He would shoot an arrow at someone that He loves like He loves David, a man after His own heart, the Bible says. But He is shooting at David's sin. These are sin-killing arrows. His hand. God is active. Your hand has come down on me. So in all this adversity, David doesn't despise the discipline of the Lord. Oh, this is just chance. He knows it's God's hand. God is active. 
David is aware. He has God's attention. You know how kids will watch me, watch me. They want you to see. They want your attention. Well, well, David has God's attention. God is watching. And his hand has come down on him because of his sin. Because of your, verse 3, indignation. He is experiencing the discipline of the Lord. All of this adversity is from God's hand. And it's because of David's sin. Commentator Derek Kidner says this, It would be as wrong to think that this adversity is punishment for sin is never so as that it is always so. Okay, It would be as wrong to think that this adversity is punishment for sin is never so as that it is always so. In John, the Gospel of John, Jesus healed a man who had been an invalid for 38 years. And then afterward, John says in John 5, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. And then in John chapter 9, As he's passing by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind? And Jesus said, it was not that this man sinned or his parents sinned, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. In David's case, all these difficulties, all these troubles are because of his sin. It's not always the case. But sometimes it is the case. He says in verse 4, For my iniquities have gone over my head. It's like a heavy burden. They're too heavy for me. If he was prospering, they might not have felt like this. He might have just shrugged it off. But because of his circumstances, he feels like he is drowning. He feels like he is being washed away. He feels... His guilt, his adversity is humbling him. He's getting a picture of his sin. He talks about his burden, his wounds. He talks about mourning and longing and sighing and pain. And it's a good thing when we feel the burden of our sin. The psalmist says in Psalm 119, Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I keep your word. David says in verse 16, he's not wanting his enemies to rejoice over me. That's his one prayer. They're unjustly taking advantage of the situation. So in the context of recognizing the consequences of his sin. He also knows his enemies are unfairly attacking him. And he's like, Lord, don't, don't let that happen. Don't let them rejoice over me. Who boast against me, verse 16, when my foot slips. Verse 17, for I am ready to fall. 
He knows it's inevitable. He understands that he is a sinner. It's not if, it's when. When my foot slips, I'm ready to fall. I am prone, literally, I am prone to stumble. The song is right. We sing the song, Lord, prone to wonder. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. It's why we need this song. So that we won't say we're without sin. If we say we are without sin, we're deceived. So the Lord is very kind and gracious. Now, yes, we are justified sinners, but nevertheless, we are sinners. And we need this psalm. I took my grandson on a date the other day to Duck Donuts. Hope you've been there. Very good donuts. I got him some donuts and got him some chocolate milk and a cup. And I turned around, he was opening the carton to pour it in the cup, and I thought, that's a little iffy. But he got it right. Poured it right in there. I was like, hey, I'm pretty impressed. I turned around to throw the carton into the trash can. When I turned around, he had spilt the entire cup of chocolate milk onto his pants. And there was a pond of chocolate milk on him. He never blinked, never stopped eating donuts. Had this look like, you better get me another thing of chocolate milk. And clean up this mess while you're at it. I tell the kids when I have them over, when I'm babysitting the grandkids, okay, I don't see the problem. Here's the food. You got a big hole in your face. Just put it in there. It's going to save me a lot of work. It just never works that way, does it? They just can't hit the hole. <laughs> We're the same way. When my foot slips, I am ready to fall. And that's why we need to learn verse 18. I confess my iniquity and I'm sorry for my sin. Finally, David instructs us on how to pray, how to respond. His response to personal sin is impressive. His response is to wait for the Lord, to trust the Lord for forgiveness of his sins. Maybe the worst part of David's experience is the, the loneliness. Verse 11, my friends and my companions stand aloof from my plague. And my nearest kin stand far off. The, the word plague is, is the word that is associated with leprosy. And it's, it seems to be used intentionally to say that's kind of what, when we're going through these consequences of our own personal sin, that's the way it is. It's just like, at a time when you need your friends more than ever, Your problems drive them away. But it doesn't drive the Lord away. John Calvin says this, if we are altogether destitute of human aid and assistance, if our friends fail us, 
in the time of need, if others seek our ruin and breathe out nothing but destruction against us, let us remember that it's not in vain for us to lay these things in prayer before God, whose province it is to rescue those who are in misery, to take under His protection those who are falsely forsaken and betrayed, to restrain the wicked, and not only to withstand their violence, but also to anticipate their deceitful counsels and to frustrate their designs. David knew, though he was alone, though even his kin had deserted him, he could wait for the Lord. Verse 9, Lord, all my longing is before you. My my sighing is not hidden from you. He has the Lord as his companion. That is comforting. And it's amazing because it's the Lord that we have sinned against. He, he is asking God not to rebuke him in his anger. He's asking him not to remember his sin. He knows that sin is a big deal. But there's a confidence that motivates him to wait for the Lord. This psalm will encourage you not to trust in man. Don't get your hopes up in man. Man is going to let you down. They're going to disappoint you, but you can trust the Lord. He will forgive your sin at a great cost. Jerry Bridges says this, in considering the truth of God's forgiveness, we must never think that God simply writes off our debt of sin or to, or to speak, so to speak, sweeps it under some cosmic rug. No, the debt must be paid. God's justice must be satisfied. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus paid the debt in full. He satisfied God's justice completely. It's on that basis that God no longer counts our sin against us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness because of Christ. He has laid the penalty of our sin on Him. He forgives us. This psalm is seeking to encourage you and me when we sin, not to run from it. We can, because of Christ, because of the Gospel, we can face our sin. We can confess our sin because He will forgive us when we acknowledge our sin. This, this psalm is encouraging us to confess our sin and receive forgiveness and receive salvation. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was wounded for our transgressions. 
He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes, we are healed. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. That's everyone in here who has trusted in Christ and Christ alone for their salvation. Receive forgiveness for your sins. Father, I pray today in Jesus' name, I come to you boldly to your throne of grace. Every person in here needs forgiveness of sins. Some in here today, Lord, have never accepted Jesus Christ. They've never trusted in Christ alone for their salvation. Christ is not their treasure. They're not a Christian. They're here today, Lord, and I pray for them. And we offer them. It's a joy, Lord, to offer them forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ. Lord, grant them today eyes to see the glory of God in the face of Christ. Lord, let them have faith today in Christ. Lord, every Christian in this room needs the gospel today. We need to preach the gospel to ourselves today. And I pray for every Christian who's aware of sin in their life today. Lord, I pray this morning they would just be rejoicing as they receive forgiveness and salvation afresh from you for your glory alone. Lord, we, we thank you today for our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Please stand. We're going to return to worshiping the Lord in song. of our forgiveness found in Christ. Jesus made it all. I hear the Savior say Thy strength indeed is small You've been listening to a message by Bill Kittrell given during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. To find out more about Cornerstone Church of Knoxville, visit us on the web at www dot cornerstone church of knoxville dot com or call our church office at eight six five six nine four four three five six. We'd love to have you join us in celebrating God's grace and pursuing God's purpose.